Yo. Hey. What's up? It's good to be with you guys again tonight. Um, hope you guys are doing okay. Hanging in there before spring break. Um, this semester in RUF, we've been going through the first book of the Bible, kind of story by story. And a lot of these are some of the Bible stories that, like, if you grew up ever hearing Bible stories, like, you know, we've covered some of the big ones like creation. And uh, last time we looked at the story of Noah's Ark. And uh, tonight we come to one that you may have, you know, be more familiar with as well. Uh, It's a story that comes up in popular culture uh, from every now and again, and people refer to it. And uh, it's one of those stories where there's more than kind of meets the eye, I think. And so I'm hoping that'll be the case for us as we look at it together. So uh, it's a short one. It's Genesis chapter 11. This is after the account of the flood. And uh, this another story of uh, humanity trying to do go about life without God. And uh, some really interesting stuff happens that we're going to look at. So... Let me read it for us. Genesis chapter 11, 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we look now at your word, we pray that you'd make sense of it to us, Uh, We pray that you would apply it to our hearts and that we would learn and be changed by it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so what we've been looking at in the book of Genesis is the entrance of sin into our world. We we spent a couple weeks talking about the good world that God created, and now we're looking at uh, the entrance of sin into the world and what God is doing about sin. how the world is not the way it's supposed to be. And we've been talking about sin for a couple weeks now. And what we've been talking about, how sin is not, it's not just doing bad things, but sin at its core, at its heart, is this impulse that we all have, we come into the world with, uh, to reject and avoid God instead of moving toward him. And we've been talking about how that impulse messes everything up. And so a few weeks ago, we looked at that story of Cain and Abel and the, how the first murder is rooted in this belief that, you know, God won't save me. 
And we looked at this account of the flood last week and just the sadness of the world, of a world living apart from God. And basically, over and over again, we've seen this kind of contrasting pictures of the way life was meant to be and the way that sin messes it up and how God still is in the work, at work in the midst of it all to set things right again. And tonight we have this account of a large group of people now uh, trying to live life together without God. And it's relevant to us because it's easy for, if you're like me, you can go through long stretches of time living as a functional atheist, right? Have you ever had those moments where, you know, if you, if you call yourself a believer tonight, have you had those moments where you're like, oh, I kind of forgot about God this week or this month or this year. And I've been living, I've been going about my life doing all this stuff as if he weren't there. Um, and, you know, in those moments, if we may ask, do I, do I really need him? If I'm able to live this period of life without him, do I need him? What difference does God make in day-to-day life? What difference does God make at UConn in my life here? Um, and what I want us to see in this text is that a life lived without God will force you to create your own meaning and will ultimately destroy you. Uh, if you're someone who's ever thought, had the thought, like, uh, there's got to be something more to life than this, like the way I'm living my life now, uh, then this is a passage for you. And that's what we're going to look at. Uh, in, in this account, there's one fundamental thing that goes wrong, and it's in verse 4 here. Look at verse 4 here. It says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Uh, Do you see what it's saying there? They they begin with the notion that they have to make a name for themselves. And that's where everything starts to fall apart. Um, We talk about this a lot. Like, this is the sin underneath the sin. This idea, I need to make a name for myself. Uh, You know, the problem isn't so much what they do. Like, it's not bad to build cities. But the problem is why they do it. What is driving them? And in this case, what's driving them is this this drive to make a name for themselves. Uh, They're people who have forgotten why they're here. These are people that feel like life must be about, about something, but it's unclear what it's about. And so they embark on this project, this building project, uh, to make a name for themselves. And, um, you know, they see their problem as something they can fix. You know, if we can just build this, everything will be better. Uh, but what we're going to see is that their problem goes much deeper. And so what I want to look at tonight is the two ways that we see in this passage that we tend to make a name, try to make a name for ourselves, and ultimately mess up our lives. And so there's, in this passage, we see two ways that we do it. And the first is personal accomplishment. We seek to make a name for ourselves. Uh, these are people that decide, like, we're going to make a big tower. And what scholars think is that, you, do you know what a ziggurat is? It's like in, in ancient Mesopotamia, people built these city, it's like stacked buildings like this, and similar to a pyramid. And people think, like, this is probably what it was. It was a ziggurat. It was in probably, like, modern-day Iraq or something like that. And this people group were trying to build a tower, um, But I want us to think about what it means that they were trying to make a name for themselves. Uh, What's the difference between working hard and working to make a name for yourself? 
what, it, what it means is that they're getting their significance from their work, and it's the significance that they should be getting just by being people made in the image of God. Uh, they've forgotten about God, and it, what that made them do is forget who they are altogether. Um, you know, if you trace Genesis back, you know, in Genesis 1, what we saw is that humanity was the apex of God's creation. Everything was good that he created, and man and woman were very good. Um, and instead, we have this picture of people being like, I, I don't need God to be happy. Look at this skyscraper we just built. And, you know, I don't know if, like, when I was a kid, when this story was told to me, I heard that they were trying to get to heaven. And that's not the case. That is not the case, but they might as well have been. They might as well have been trying to get to heaven um, because they're placing all their value in what they can produce apart from God. Uh, in other words, these are people that are trying to save themselves without God through what they accomplish. Uh, and when you start doing that, the first thing that will happen is that you'll come up with about a thousand ways to make a name for yourself. You know, to make yourself feel secure. What do you do to make yourself feel secure? What are the ways that you're trying to make a name for yourself tonight? Uh, we do it with all kinds of things like grades and resumes and how many, you know, what's your major or how many majors do you have or what internships have you gotten, uh, how you measure up compared to the people around you, uh, what your parents think of you, how much money you have, or how much money you will have, or what relationships you're in, or how you look, right? There's a million ways out there that we kind of lean on, you know, when, when we're thinking about, am I okay? And we point to something, right? Uh, yeah, I'm okay, look at my grades. I'm okay, look at my friends. And these are all essentially self-salvation projects that we embrace. Uh, if you were on the weekend, uh, the winter conference this weekend, uh, you'll remember that our speaker, Scott Sauls, talked about this phenomenon, and he uh, referenced like three or four celebrities talking about happiness. You remember that? He, like Tom Brady and uh, Mariah Carey and Madonna, all these people that admitted like once they had reached the pinnacles of their career that they weren't actually happy and that it wasn't enough. Uh, I'll, you know, I'll read you the uh, Ma Madonna quote. Uh, she said, she says, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. You know, one of the most successful stars ever says this. She says, that's always pushing me. I push past one spell of feeling mediocre and discover myself as a special human, but then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Do you see that like treadmill in effect? Do you, you know, we feel a treadmill when we're, you know, we're like, I just got to get through this semester and then I'll be set. I got to get through next week and then I'll be in spring break. But like, you know, there's just more coming, right? Like nothing is ever, there's never like a stopping point uh, when we live that way. Um, Madonna ends, she says, my struggle has never ended and I guess it never will. It's a real uplifting quote, right? Like, <laughs> great, you know, great words to live by. My struggle has never ended and I guess it never will. Um, you know, if you're not exhausted by all the ways that you're trying to make a name for yourself apart from God already, you will be. Because it is a never-ending treadmill. You know, none of it will satisfy. Uh, no amount of accomplishment will ever be enough to make you feel... It, like, look at the people in this story. 
they were living this way. No one has a clue who these people were are anymore. Like it, it all meant nothing. All this, you know, what they were trying to do apart from God. Um, this is why we run to self-destructive behavior. This is why we can't get out of bed some days. This is why all we want to do is sleep sometimes. This is why we can't sleep sometimes. Um, so think about for yourself, you know, how are you using personal accomplishment to make a name for yourself and how is it actually sapping the joy out of your life? Uh, how is it distancing you from God and the people around you? How is your struggle preventing you from really being known by anyone? So that's making a name for yourself uh, through personal accomplishment. But there's another way that is kind of less obvious in this passage that we try to make a name for ourselves, and that's by creating a bubble. Uh, in verse four, look again at verse four. It says, "You know, the reason they want to build a city is lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth." And it's a really interesting thing to say. Um, you know, what they're saying is, like, we want to be insulated with each other. And what we don't want is to be, to be forced to spread out. Um, they want to be separate from the rest of the world. And the problem with that is that it goes against what God has explicitly said he wants for people. In the creation account, God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. After the flood, when God saves Noah and his family, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So God's goal is always for us not to create little bubbles of security among ourselves, but to expand outward, to fill the earth, um, not to just huddle up and enjoy what we have here. Um, and you know, like, the worst racist and imperialist movements come from this idea of, like, you know, if we could just form our own bubble and keep everyone else out, life would be good. Because we get this sense of security and power and greatness when we form a bubble. Uh, and we all do this in all kinds of, like we love to be exclusive, don't we? Like don't we create ways to be in all the time? Like we create slang terms that only the people we like and love understand. Uh, we dress in certain ways that kind of bind together us with the kind of people we want to be around. Uh, we exclude people in all kinds of ways, and it feels kind of good. Like, you know, doesn't it feel good to know? Like, have you ever had this feeling of, like, I'm in the inner ring, and it feels good? Uh, that's, that's what we're like. And the sad thing is that churches tend to be this way. Our, you know, our RUF can tend to be this way. Uh, my community tends to be this way. And we need to be different because what this text shows us is that creating a bubble is just another way to avoid God. That's another way to try to live life without God. Uh, me and Maggie have this interest in, in Eastern Europe because Maggie grew up part of her childhood in Romania. Um, we're watching this TV show now called The Americans, which is about Soviet spies. And so it's been on my mind lately. And I remember this story I heard a while back of... Uh, like, Romania was a communist country until the early 90s, and it was horrible, you know, like, oppressive communist regime. And I um, heard this story of this woman who worked in a TV station in Romania, a government-run TV station, really strict, you know, what you can show. And somehow she was able to, like, import some American movies. 
and she was able to, you know, in her own time, like, translate the movies and dub them over and begin dispersing, you know, like, the classic 80s movies like Rocky or Die Hard and stuff like that, um, because the Romanian government said, like, no, we don't want anyone in our country to know what life is like on the outside, because they might want to leave. And so, um, you know, really strict about what they allowed in. And essentially, this, some people think this wo- woman was, like, largely responsible for the revolution that ultimately ended communism in Romania just through, like, dispersing American movies. Um, think about how powerful that is. Just, like, a picture of life. You know, like, life can be different than it is in my little bubble. And it's so powerful that it could fuel a revolution. Um, you know, you may find pride, you may find security in being part of a group, like a small, like insulated bubble of some kind. Uh, but you, what you will find is just like the accomplishments, just like the treadmill, uh, that bubble will become stale. Uh, because life is meant to be much more than that. Uh, the bubble, you know, we create the bubble to give us security, uh, but security without God is not real. And it gets stale. Um, you know, I tell people a lot, like, you know, sometimes people ask me, hey, can I bring a friend to RUF? And I'm like, of course you can bring a friend. Like, please, we expect that you'll bring a friend to RUF because RUF is not a club like other clubs at UConn. Like, we don't want to be a club. We want to be a community. Uh, we want to face outward. And so, like, we're this club, but, like, we really exist for the good of people that are not in the club. Uh, we want people to come in. Um, you know, we want to have good fellowship and quality relationships among ourselves, but the goal of that is so that we can draw other people in. And, you know, our insecurity makes that hard, right? Because there's a part of us that's like, you know, I kind of like the club. I kind of like knowing my place among this group of people. And, you know, if other, if, if other people keep coming in, you know, if this room is, you know, gets fuller and fuller, then, like, you know, it'll mess, it might mess things up for me. Um, because each one of us is kind of like these people in Babel, right? Uh, we find that security and being in, but the more we let people in, the beauty of it is the more we have to rely on God, the more we have to turn to God for our security. And so, you know, that's the second way these people are creating, making a name for themselves through personal accomplishment of this tower and creating the bubble. But I want to close by looking at how God responds. This is fascinating. This is different than any other religion, any other you know, idea of God. Um, in verse 6, God says, Behold, they are one people, and they have, all have one language, and this is the only, only the beginning of what they will do. Um, and so he goes on to, conf- he says, let's confuse their language. And he disperses them. Uh, because God knows that because it's all rooted in pride, because it's all rooted in living life without God, it'll end in disaster. Um, God knows that the consequences will be disastrous. And so on one hand, he's punishing them. But on the other hand, it's for their good. It's actually a blessing because it forces them to continue to live life the way it was meant to be lived by filling the earth. Uh, but what you can't miss is this. And this is what I want. Please don't miss this. Um, while they're rebelling against God, living life the wrong way, in direct disobedience to God, this God comes down. 
It's different than any other. Every other faith, every other religion is about us working our way up to God to be near to him. And in our religion, in Christianity, our God comes down in the midst of our sin. You know, and we see it happening in this little story, but it culminates in the whole Bible, the story that the whole Bible is telling. Um, you know, at this point in the story, the people are spreading out. Uh, and they're, you know, even at the, you know, after this story, people are sinful, right? So they'll continue to do things like we do to make a name for themselves. Um, but the reason they're doing, you know, like what these people ultimately reveal about themselves is that they, like us, are radically insecure. We are, ra- we are people that know that we have no name. We're all people that know that, you know, if you knew the real me, you wouldn't want to know me. You know, think back on your week for a minute. You know, what have you done or said or thought this week that no one will ever find out about? Because if they did, they might not want to know you. Because they might reject you. So how does God fix us? You know, if that's us, if we're these people that desperately need to find ways to make a name for ourselves because we know we have no name, because if we were known, we would be rejected. How does God fix us? Well, this God comes down. And, you know, the coming down of God culminates with God actually putting on a human body, Jesus Christ, putting on skin and coming down and saying, you know, you're ashamed. I'll take your shame. I'll be paraded through the streets naked and mocked and put to death on the cross for you. He says, you're afraid of rejection? I will be rejected in a way that's worse than you could ever be rejected because I will be cosmically rejected so that you won't have to be. And finally, he says, do you not have a name? Take my name. My name is the eternal Son of God. My name is the one who is alive eternally, who can never die. My name is the one who is eternally loved by my Father. You can have my name. And that's what, that's what Jesus, that's what God ultimately accomplishes for sinful people through Jesus. That's what the life and death and resurrection of Jesus is all about. And if we have that, it's, it's how we can stop being insecure and it's how we can begin to have true relationships and true community. Because now when God looks at me, he doesn't, you know, because I have Jesus, he doesn't see this like absurdly insecure campus minister who's always measuring himself according to some standard that he creates. Like, do people like me or am I good enough? He, say, he sees me instead through the lens of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. So that other stuff doesn't define me anymore, and I can be open about it, and Jesus can actually change me so that I'm less insecure. Imagine what a community would be like of people living this out. You know, if we a community of people who knew we had a name that we couldn't lose. Imagine how much better we would know each other. Imagine how much more welcoming of an environment our UF would be. Imagine the joy and the unity that would emerge. And what you need to see, and I'll close with this, is that this isn't a theory. Like, this isn't just, like, this actually happens in the Bible. And to see it, you have to read another book of the Bible, the book of Acts. 
if you were to, if you if you want to go home tonight for homework, if you need more of it, um, read Acts chapter two. Uh, Acts, Acts is the book of the Bible that details what happens right after Jesus rises from the dead and ascends to heaven, uh, and it's, it's the story of the earliest, you know, the early church. And Acts chapter two is about. It's about a week after Jesus has ascended into heaven, and he's completed the work of salvation. And at this point, there's 120 Christians in the world. And these are the first, per- these are the first people that believe, like, Jesus has given us a name. We are different now. And they're gathered together in a room, and God comes down again. And in that story, it says that the Holy Spirit descended on them, and there's this mighty rushing wind, and tongues of fire rested on each person's head, each person that had been given a name by Jesus. And there's this big commotion that happens, and there's all these people from all over the world that happen to be in Jerusalem at that time. And what do they hear? But everyone speaking the same language miraculously people hear other people talking you know it's like you're from Egypt and I'm from Turkey but I when you talk I understand you in this miraculous way do you see what's going on there Jesus comes ultimately to undo this story to bring people together not to make a name for themselves but to bring people together to live out life as children of God together. Life the way it was meant to be. Uh, that's the community that God's ultimately building on earth. Uh, so let me, I'll close by just praying that uh, he would make that happen among us. So let's pray. Father, we uh, pray that you would set us free from all the ways that we try to make a name for, our, for ourselves apart from you, for all the ways that we try to ultimately save ourselves because we're scared of being known by you and exposed and uh, relying on you for our salvation. And uh, we pray that you would uh, instead uh, set our hearts on Jesus and the name that we're given in him. And we pray that true life would arise. We pray that we would come to know you more deeply in fellowship with you, and we pray that we'd come to know and love each other more deeply, uh, that we might be able to draw others in to our community instead of being a bubble uh, or a group of people that exists just to feel secure among each other. We pray that you'd work that transformation in us and in our community. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.